to Africa Rights Talk, a Center for Human Rights podcast series hosted by Tatenda Musinahama. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to this week's episode of Africa Rights Talk. In this conversation is Ms. Opal Sibanda. This episode is a very special episode and it's in line with the Tech for Rights campaign, the annual campaign called Tech for Rights at the Center for Human Rights. And we have realized that the use of digital technologies has become an essential aspect of most people's daily lives and children are not an exception to this. The digital space exposes children to new ideas and diverse sources of information. So using digital technologies also arguably exposes children to new opportunities to learn, reduces inequalities and contributes to the realization of their rights, including but not limited to the right to education, the right to privacy, freedom of expression, access to information and all of those kind of rights you might be thinking about as you listen to this podcast. So we've also discovered that the use of digital technologies also presents risks for those children. The focus of this episode is therefore to contextualize the long-term effects of exposing children to these different platforms of digital technologies and to see what effect it has on their well-being. So without giving much away of what this podcast is about, I'm just going to ask Opal to please um, introduce yourself and uh, the nature of the work that you do. Thank you very much. My name is Opal Sivanda and I am an assistant legal researcher at the African Committee of Experts on the Rights and Welfare of the Child. I also do some voluntary work with Lifeline Childline, an organization in Zambia that provides free phone, text, web-based counseling to children in need of psychosocial support and referral services. I'd like you to explain to us, right, to what extent does the African Charter on the Rights and Welfare of the Child, the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, which is the UNCRC, or the African Convention on Cybersecurity and Personal Data protect children's rights in the digital age? So let me highlight that although the African Children's Charter and the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child were drafted before the present contours and consequences of the digital environment could be foreseen. The provisions of the Charter and the Convention on the Rights of the Child are relevant to the digital environment and they apply in the digital context, even if they do not make specific reference to the digital environment. However, there have been growing concerns among scholars and professionals that the available international and regional children-related instruments do not sufficiently address children's issues online. Um, For example, Sonia Livingstone um, argues that undoubtedly there are growing uncertainties over how to interpret and implement the Convention on the Rights of the Child in relation to the digital environment. And the same can be said about the African Children's Charter. As such, I can say that these instruments protect children's rights in the digital age to a certain extent, but it is suggested that general comments should be developed in order to clarify how the provisions in those instruments can be interpreted in the digital context so as to sufficiently protect children's rights in the online environment. Notably, the United Nations Committee on the Rights of the Child has developed a general comment on children's rights in the digital environment. So regarding the AU Convention on Cybersecurity and Personal Data, also known as the Malabo Convention, this is a general instrument on data protection and cybersecurity and it does not express 
expressly provide for the protection of children's data. Although we can say that the provisions protect children, I believe the drafters should have taken into account the specific vulnerability of children in the digital environment, especially when it comes to protection of personal information. And it should have specific provisions relating to the processing of children's data. It is noted, however, that the Malabo Convention provides for protection of children from exploitation and abuse in line with Article 29, sub-Article 3, Paragraph 1, which calls upon state parties to criminalize child pornography. And this can be held as progressive, considering the challenge of exploitation and abuse online presented by the internet. Um, just to get a, a better sense of uh, what you're saying, does it mean that should there be an event affecting a child? Uh, the only provisions that we have to protect a child on child pornography, are there not other issues that could affect the rights of uh, a child? If there are those kind of provisions or should there be a situation where something has to be taken to court, what provisions will likely be used in a court of law at the moment? Oh, so I think for now, the only provisions that can be used are the provisions relating to the protection of personal information. Like I said, that even if they do not expressly provide for the protection of children's data, they can actually be used because when we are talking about human rights, we are also talking about the rights of children. And also looking at child pornography, we note that child pornography is not the only issue right now in the digital environment. So it would be important or maybe it would have been important for the drafters to take into account other online threats such as online grooming, cyberbullying and even exposure of um, children to inappropriate content in the online environment. So what is the scope of ratification and domestication of these instruments among AU member states? Okay, so when we look at the African Charter on the Rights and the Welfare of the Child, so far 50 countries have ratified the Charter and five countries have not yet ratified, which are South Sudan, Morocco, Tunisia, Sawari Arab Republic and uh, Somalia. Moving on to the Convention on the Rights of the Child, this is almost universally ratified and notably all African countries have ratified the Convention on the Rights of the Child. And moving on to the AU Convention on Cybersecurity and Personal Data, the Malabo Convention. This was adopted in 2014 and so far it only has eight ratifications and at this point I would like to highlight that this convention is not yet in force as 15 ratifications are required for the convention to be in force. So when I'm talking about um, regarding domestication of these instruments, particularly the Charter, the African Children's Charter, and the Convention on the Rights of the Child. According to African Child Policy Forum, there has been considerable progress in Africa in adopting and developing legal and policy instruments for the protection of children. We note that most AU member states have adopted a specific national law or specific sections in general laws to address the rights of children. Further, a substantial number of African countries countries have recognized children's rights in their supreme laws, that is, their constitutions whereby children's rights are mentioned, and in some countries, children's rights are actually enshrined under the Bill of Rights. And if I'm not mistaken, 18 countries in Africa have elaborate provisions on children's rights in their constitutions, which can be said to be progressive. Uh, also, the AU member states have also made considerable progress towards ensuring that the rights under the Charter are implemented at national level. So, not only do the 
these countries harmonize their laws with the standards set out in the Charter and the Convention on the Rights of the Child, but they also take practical steps to ensure that these laws and policies are implemented through setting up institutions and structures to protect children's rights, amongst other things. It should, however, be noted that there are differences in the adoption of legislation in Africa to give effect to the Charter and the Convention on the Rights of the Child. There are still gaps between standards set out in the national laws and those in the Charter and the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Hence, I would say there's need for harmonization of laws to ensure that they are in line with international and regional standards on child protection. Furthermore, most African countries lag significantly behind in ensuring that their national laws are updated to protect children from emerging technological threats to the protection and well-being of children. It is, however, not worth it to mention that there are some African countries that have undergone law reform or are undergoing law reform to update the national legislation to protect children's rights online, for example, South Africa, Ghana, and um, Zimbabwe. And so how do these legal frameworks promise to regulate children's access and interactions around the internet? Are they accessible and child-friendly channels locally and regionally on how to report and complain about interferences with privacy rights and um, on how to seek redress? Despite having been adopted at a time when the internet was in its early ages, the provisions of the Charter and the Convention on the Rights of the Child regulate children's rights in the digital context as well. It has been noted that there might be challenges in interpreting the provisions in the digital context and to address this gap. Early this year, the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child adopted General Comment Number 25 on children's rights in relation to the digital environment. So looking at this general comment, it actually articulates ways in which children's rights provided for in the Convention on the Rights of the Child are impacted both positively and negatively in and by the digital sphere and the subsequent state obligations and roles of non-state actors, mainly businesses in this regard. And this can be said to be a progressive step and it ensures the protection of children's rights and interactions with the internet. It is suggested that the African Committee of Experts on the Rights and Welfare of the Child should follow suit and develop a general comment on children's rights in the digital age, particularly in the African context. It should also be noted that efforts have been made by the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child to ensure the protection of children's interactions with the internet through the adoption of the optional protocol on the sale of children, child prostitution, and child pornography to give effect to international legislation allowing online child abuse images. Regarding the Malabo Convention, it is noted that it addresses issues to deal with data protection and issues to do with child pornography. But as I highlighted before, it however does not expressly provide for the processing of data relating to children or the requirement to obtain parental consent. The drafters should have, in my view, adopted the approach by the EU General Data Protection Regulation, which actually has explicit provisions on the processing of data relating to children, the aim of which is to address the particular vulnerability of children. And the fact that the GDPR recognized that children deserve special protection due to their vulnerability, it should be noteworthy and Africa should follow suit. Um, so regarding whether they are accessible child-friendly channels locally and regionally on how to report and complain about interferences with privacy rights and how to seek redress. There are indeed um, structures set up to receive reports and complaints, such as courts at national level. And at regional level, a formal communications procedure is set up by the African Committee of Experts on the Rights and Welfare of the Child to allow children and other interested parties in a state party to make complaints 
complaint about any violation of rights enshrined in the Charter, and this includes the right to privacy. These channels are, however, not accessible or child-friendly, particularly due to the lack of popularization, especially the committee's communication procedure. Children and other parties also lack knowledge on how and where to report in the event that their rights are violated. In that regard, AU member states and the committee should therefore provide children with child-sensitive and age-appropriate information in child-friendly languages on their rights and on the reporting and complaint mechanisms, as well as services and remedies available to them in cases where their rights in relation to the digital environment are violated. And such information should be provided to parents, caregivers, and professionals working with or for children. So moving on to the next question, considering the scope and content of the African Children's Charter, what are the existing provisions within the Charter that are applicable to safeguarding children's interactions with technology and the internet. Okay, so first of all, it is important to highlight that uh, four general principles have been identified in the Charter that inform the realization of all other rights, and these are non-discrimination, the best interests of the child, survival and development, and child participation. So these principles have relevance to children's rights in the digital environment, hence should be applied when self-guiding children's interactions with technology and the internet. So looking at the provisions that are applicable to safeguarding children's interactions with technology, the Charter provides for the right to privacy, for example. Article 10 provides that no child shall be subjected to arbitrary or unlawful interference with his privacy, family home or correspondence, or the attacks upon his owner or reputation, provided that parents or legal guardians shall have the right to exercise reasonable supervision over the conduct of their children. The child has the right to the protection of the law against such interferences or attacks. So the inclusion of correspondence in this provision is of significance in the digital context as it implies that children's forms of communications, including through the internet, should not be interfered with unlawfully. This means that any instances permitting interference with a child's communication should be prescribed by law. And further, regarding unlawful attacks on honor and reputation, the provision implies that there should be laws in place to protect children from conduct either verbally, orally, or through the media, which may have negative impact on their reputation. And we can see that this right to privacy actually applies when we are talking about the personal information or protection of um, children's data. And um, also, the Charter also provides for protection against child abuse and torture. And we see that in Article 16, sub-Article 1, which requires state parties to adopt specific legislative, administrative, social, and educational measures to ensure the protection of children from all forms of torture, inhuman or degrading treatment, and especially physical or mental injury or abuse, neglect, or maltreatment, including sexual abuse. So in terms of this uh, right or the provision, states are obliged to protect children from exploitation, committed in any sphere, and this includes the online environment. So Article 27 of um, the African Children's Charter further reinforces this provision as it requires governments to undertake to protect the child from all forms of sexual exploitation and sexual abuse, and it shall in particular take measures to prevent the inducement, coercion, or encouragement of a child to engage in any sexual activity, the use of 
children in prostitution or other sexual practices and the use of children in pornographic activities, performances and materials. As such, there are no limitations imposed on the terms of engagement and this implies that if the engagement takes place by electronic means, it too would be an infringement of the right. So these, I can say, are the provisions in the Charter that are applicable to protecting children online. You know, as I was just um, reflecting on how this um, conversation is going so far, I've realized that we are assuming that we already know what the dangers around children's access to technology and interactions with the internet are. But um, for the benefit of our listeners, could you please just highlight them? What are the dangers around children's access to technology and interactions with the internet? It is acknowledged that whilst the internet presents opportunities for children, it also presents numerous threats to children. And maybe for the benefit of the audience, it's also important to mention you know, some of the platforms that actually pose dangers for children. So platforms that pose risks to children are texting apps such as WhatsApp, photo and video sharing apps such as TikTok, Instagram and Facebook. We also have microblogging apps and sites such as Tumblr and Twitter, chatting, meeting and dating apps and sites such as Tinder, as well as live streaming video apps such as house party group video chat and self-destructing apps such as Snapchat. Um, um, also, new technologies such as um, cryptocurrencies and the dark web are also increasing live streaming of child sexual abuse and other harmful content, posing challenges on law enforcement. Further, online gaming sites also pose risks to children as some games are meant for adults and may contain inappropriate themes, images, and languages. So moving to the dangers or maybe, let me say, risks um, that are posed by the internet, these can actually be classified into, uh, we say there are content risks and there are conduct risks as well as conduct risks. So when I'm talking about content uh, risks or dangers, children have no active role in the process but merely receive general information such as advertising or spam, ferocious, horrific or hateful content, pornographic or harmful sexual content. When we're looking at um, conduct risks, children are targeted as participants in individualized activity either by other children or adults and uh, examples are online grooming and cyberbullying. Moving on to conduct risks, children are the initiators of risk-taking behavior such as sharing personal information whilst not being aware of the range and breadth of the audience online and the potential danger that may result from such action. So these risks um, also involve sharing of problematic content which can be in the form of images or videos portraying group or self-inflicted violence. Further concerns have been raised on the extent to which most adolescents are using their smartphones for sexual communication and exploration, which is also referred to as sexting. Sharing of such images may actually um, create threats to children's privacy as they can be re- uh, as they can be reshared and may also lead to sexual exploitation and harassment of children. Further, there are risks uh, or threats relating to privacy in the digital environment. First of all, I'd like to talk about online surveillance. Um, so when we look at um, online surveillance, the internet creates new opportunities for companies and governments to collect, store and process children's data online. And of particular concern with regards to children's privacy, 
is the increasing use of mass surveillance strategies by companies and governments which collect the personal data and information of internet users, including children. Online surveillance can be more dangerous to children as through bulk data collection, authorities are allowed to build and store records of children's digital footprints if linked to individual profiles. We also have what is called um, biometrics, Internet of Things, enabled devices, and blockchain. Biometrics are mostly used for identification purposes, for example, in migration or birth registration in states that do not have proficient birth registration systems. There is now a combination of biometrics with online technologies such as social networks, Internet of Things, enabled devices, and blockchain. Examples can be the integration of facial and voice recognition technologies that enable the identification of children's images and their voices. A number of concerns have been raised over biometrics in addition to pre-existing risks relating to identity theft as well as ill usage of personal data. The risks um, increase as a result of the permanent nature of biometric data. And lastly, I'm going to talk about um, what we call sharenting. And I can also say I'm guilty in that regard because I love sharing pictures of my relatives or my nieces or my nephews. So sharenting is whereby parents share their children's personal information or images online. This form of parental breach or children's privacy can have another dimension in the digital era. It also has a bearing on a child's reputation or privacy, either immediately or in the future. For instance, for instance, by enabling the abuse of such information. So all these, uh, I can say, are the dangers around children's access to technology and interactions with the internet. That's a very comprehensive answer you have given to that question. And I might have one or two follow-up questions to that. One being that um, when you mentioned the issue of WhatsApp, I realized just how many children under the age of 18 have WhatsApp, have phones, uh, smartphones that enable them to use these different kinds of platforms. So what would be the case in terms of it's in terms of having children sharing these images or this kind of information amongst themselves? Would that be a violation of their rights if, let's say, a 16-year-old girl is sending her nude to a 16-year-old boy? Maybe she has a crush on this person or maybe she's dating this person, you know, at school, at high school, these things are happening. It could also be as a result of consent, she might be genuinely willing to share this. Being an adolescent, trying to be, you know, body positive and figuring yourself out um, sexually and all of these things. Is that also a violation of children's privacy when they are interacting like this with each other? Okay, I would say in that instance, I know there are some jurisdictions that may say, before we even talk about privacy, they may say sharing of um, nudes um, or, you know, pictures half naked is actually um, a violation of rights is it is actually exposing the other child or the other party to age inappropriate content. But when we are looking at sharing of such information or content among um, adolescents or teenagers, I would say even if it's a violation of rights to a certain extent, because by sharing such information, it can actually be reshared and it can have a reputation on the child's privacy or reputation. I would say criminalization of such acts between children is not encouraged because when you are talking about children, we also have to look at their evolve their evolving capacities as well as their mature as they as well as their maturity. So in most instances, when children share such content, they are 
not aware of the risks that are associated with the sharing of such content. So I would say that conduct should not be criminalized, but at the same time, children should be encouraged not to share such content because in as much as they think that they are sharing with one person whom they trust, there is a possibility that the content may land on the wrong hands and it may be abused in the digital environment and this may have negative impacts on the child's well-being. I don't know if I answered that correctly. Yes, you did. You really did. Um, it's just, uh, you know, um, on a practical level, how aware are these children that, you know, there are issues, you know, with doing these things? And mind you, when they share these this kind of content, it's not that they are not aware that it's, it's wrong. They might not understand the full extent of why it's wrong, but they do know that it's wrong and um, they do feel somehow about it. So most of the times you find this is happening in, in secrecy, you know, in privacy thinking, oh, I won't be caught and things like that. But thank you for that um, response. In our conversation about this, there's an assumption that um, with disregard to the last question I asked, there's an assumption that child perpetrators are external parties or unknown people to these children, right? But are there more instances where the parents themselves are the ones exposing their children's risks associated with digital technologies? I know you mentioned sharing, but what of issues where parents are involved in child pornography, you know, things like that? To what extent does protecting children's personal information depend on parental control and consent? And what are the limitations of parental control in monitoring children's use of technology and interactions with the digital space. I'll begin by highlighting that, interestingly, in terms of the African Children's Charter, parents and guidance have a role to play in upholding children's rights. Particularly, Article 20, sub-Article 1, provides that parents or other persons responsible for the child shall have the primary responsibility for the upbringing and development of the child. This is a reinforcement of the role of parents parents alluded to in Article 10, which provides that parents or guardians can exercise reasonable supervision, and I emphasize reasonable supervision, on their child's privacy. So this formulation is in line with key tenets of international standards to regulatory environments around children and the digital media. That is, parents provide the necessary guidance and control over digital content in the first instance as opposed to state authorities or other regulatory agencies. So when it comes to children's personal information, it should be noted that despite children's ability to actively explore the internet and independently engage in various virtual activities, they are deemed to be a more vulnerable group of users than adults. Most of the times they are not knowledgeable and not aware of the consequences and future implications of their agreement um, of their agreement to process personal data. Firstly, when they share any material containing personal data, they might they may not regard the material as personal data. And second, the language used or the language that is used in a request for consent is usually complicated. Sometimes it's even too long and children might not even understand. So as a result, we can say that children often lack knowledge of their rights as data subjects and are unaware of their exposure to online dangers, hence the need for parental consent and controls. Protecting children's personal information should not, however, solely rely on parental controls because there are limitations of parental control in monitoring children's use of technology and interactions with the digital environment and relying on parents to protect their children's personal information or privacy is problematic. 
also in as far as the digital environment is concerned. So whilst the objective of parental supervision is undoubtedly legitimate as children are protected from online risks, a clear interference with children's privacy, freedom of expression, access to information, participation, and development of digital literacy is presented by parental controls. Further, like you had highlighted, it seems many parents may actually disregard their children's privacy, for instance, by sharing their children's information without the consent of the children. As such, I would say in addressing this tension between parental supervision and children's right to privacy and engagement with the digital space or the cyberspace, due deliberation needs to be given to the importance of the internet as a resource and a means of increasing and strengthening children's capacities and their evolving capacities. So the legitimate objective of shielding children from the potential dangers associated with their use of technology and interactions with the digital space must be balanced against ensuring that the child's right to privacy as well as other rights, such as the right to freedom of expression and association are not disregarded. In that case, I can say parental controls should therefore be reasonably exercised in a manner consistent with the evolving capacities of the child. In that regard, true in that regard, due weight is given to the age and maturity of the child. And in most instances, younger children need more guidance than older children. To what extent are children involved in the formulation of in the formulation and drafting of policy with regards to their participation online? Is it important for children to be involved and why? Okay, so it is imperative to emphasize that child participation is one of the four general principles underpinning the realization of children's rights. And it is key that children be given an opportunity to participate in issues affecting them. Generally, despite having in place structures to promote child participation in various countries, for example, child's parliaments, child participation in formulation of policies, in my view, is actually limited and this includes child participation in their formulation of policy with regards to their participation online. So I would say it is very important that children are involved in the formulation and drafting of policy with regards to their participation online. When we look at children, children are knowledgeable about their situation and online experiences, and they can actually provide innovative solutions to their problems if they are consulted. It is only through their input that it can be ensured that the online content is of interest and of use to children. Quality engagement with children and young people within policy making is worthwhile alongside ensuring that their rights are upheld. Children's, particip children's participation leads to the development of better policy that more clearly reflects children's views and understanding and also the development of skills, knowledge and understanding of civic rights and responsibilities amongst them. As such, when developing legislation, policies, programs, services, and trainings on children's rights in relation to the digital environment. AU member states should involve all children, listen to their needs, and give due weight to their views. The state parties should also ensure that digital service providers actively engage children, applying appropriate safeguards, and give their views due consideration when developing products and services. And so, based on your experience and in your opinion, what are some of the 
progressive remedial action plans and legal tools extent in Africa to protect children's access to technology and interface with um, with their digital space and hold culprits accountable. Okay, thank you very much. So I think in the beginning I highlighted that most African countries have been lagging behind in terms of enacting legislation that um, protect children's access to technology and interface with their digital space and hold culprits accountable. It can however be noted that they are progressive or notable developments at uh, regional and local level to protect children's interactions um, with the digital space. So at regional level, uh, on my own opinion, I believe the SADC model law on data protection and ICT is worth mentioning. So when you look at the SADC model law, it actually protects privacy of children as it provides that the personal data of a child may be processed only subject to the provisions of Article 37. And Article 37 of this model law provides that if a child is the data subject, his or her rights may be exercised by his or her parents or legal guardian. If, however, in terms of national law, a child is able to provide consent according to his or her age and ability, this shall be allowed in line with the key tenets of international standards that requires respecting the evolving capacities of children. The model law further provides for recourse to judicial authorities in the event of violation of rights, and this includes the violation of the right to privacy. It further sanctions any data controller, his or her representative, agent, or, assign or assignee who fail to comply with the appropriate technical and organizational measures that are necessary to protect the personal data from negligent or unauthorized destruction, negligent loss, as well as from unauthorized alteration or access in any other unauthorized processing of the personal data in order to safeguard the security of the personal data as required in Article 24. So um, I would say this model law actually provides a useful framework for um, SADC countries wishing to enact legislation in this field. And similar initiatives could lay the groundwork for modernized legislation in other areas relevant to digital technology, such as child online protection. So uh, moving on to uh, national levels or locally, I indicated that there are some countries that have actually enacted legislation on data protection and cybersecurity, while some are in the process of adopting such legislation. I like to use uh, South Africa as a best practice as it has legislation, comprehensive legislation that speaks to the digital environment. For example, they have the Protection of Personal Information Act. And in terms of this act, the processing of personal information concerning a child is prohibited unless if consent has been obtained from a competent person, that is any person who has legal capacity to consent to any action or decision being taken in respect of any matter concerning a child. And this can actually be held as a progressive step towards protection of children's right to privacy in the digital environment. South Africa also has the Criminal Law, Sexual Offences and Related Matters Amendment Act. And this act actually creates new offences such as child pornography and grooming. This amendment act is a significant step towards protecting children 
from sexual exploitation in online in line with the international standards that call upon states to keep current with emerging technologies. Further looking at South Africa, they have the Protection from Harassment Act. And in terms of um, Section 2 particularly, one can apply for a protection order against harassment, including online harassment. And the Act further provides in Section 2, subsection 4, that any child or person on behalf of a child may apply to the court for a protection order without the assistance of a parent, guardian, or any other person. And this actually ensures that in cases of online harassment, particularly online, children can combat harassment without parental consent. And in terms of uh, Section 4, Subsection 1, if the court is convinced that a protection order has to be issued in respect of online harassment and the identity or address of the respondent is unknown, it may actually direct an electronic service provider to furnish the court with particulars such as the identity number from where the harassing electronic communication originated, the details of the respondent, and any information that can assist the court in identifying the offender or the service provider which provides a service to the offender. And this, in my view, is actually a valuable addition in respect of cyberbullying cases that are increasing. And then lastly, they have, um, lastly, South Africa has the Films and Publications Amendment Act. And this, in my view, is a progressive legislation in the protection of some of children's rights online as it expansively addresses the issue of child pornography to bring South Africa in line with its international obligations. And this act also criminalizes the exposure of children to explicit content. Notably, the act um, also provides for a compulsory reporting obligation in relation to child pornography, which can be held as a progressive step. And then lastly, the Act um, also provides for extraterritorial jurisdiction. Um, so extraterritorial jurisdiction is com contemplated by Section 30A insofar as it is made a criminal offense for any citizen or permanent resident who commits any act outside the Republic, which would have constituted an offense under this act had it been committed within the Republic to be guilty of the offense, which would have been so constituted and liable to the penalty prescribed for such offense in this act. And it is also noteworthy to mention that South African courts have actually dealt with some cases of sexual exploitation of children in the environment, in the online environment, and this is an indication of um, enforcement of the law through the prosecution of offenders. These are, in my opinion, some of the notable developments at regional and local level to protect children's access to technology and interface with their digital space and to hold culprits accountable. Thank you. So children from the global south and poorer backgrounds face significant inequalities in relation to access to digital technologies. Can you help us understand why this is so? And how do these inequalities present themselves 
what can be done to promote children's digital literacy, either as part of a school curricula or in other forms of public awareness programs, particularly in light of the challenges presented by COVID-19? Um, so children from the global south and poorer backgrounds face significant inequalities in relation to access to digital technologies due to various factors that hinder them from accessing the internet. And the barriers preventing access to technology include lack of specific resources and assets in the households, that is computers, phones or tablets, internet connection, and in, um, and in some instances, um, lack of electricity. Um, so when we look at, you know, children from the global south, we can say they come from low-income countries and as markets continue to target the middle and upper classes, the poor and marginalized will be excluded and further marginalized. Um, this digital divide has been further exposed by the COVID-19 pandemic, or let me say this digital divide has been exposed and further worsened by the COVID-19 pandemic, which has seen children from poorer backgrounds failing to access their right to education, for example, due to lack of access to technology. It is noted that uh, whilst 297 million learners were out of school last year, 75% of the learners did not even have access to interactive and internet-based learning materials. And due to the lack of resources and difficulties to be in direct contact with teachers through remote means, these children have been left behind while some learners are continuing with their education online. These children also lack digital literacy skills as a result of this digital divide. It is therefore important for AU member states or for governments to create programs oriented to fostering digital literacy through formal education. And these programs should include ICT training in the curricula at the primary and secondary level, complemented with targeted programs focused on teachers. In that regard, various actions need to be done in order to achieve that. And to begin with, governments should make appropriate arrangements to ensure that all children have adequate, affordable, and secure access to devices, connectivity, electricity, services, and content, which is specifically intended for children. Further, governments should ensure that access to the digital environment is provided in educational and other care settings for children. Specific measures should be taken for children in the rural and remote areas, children from poor backgrounds, children with disabilities, and other children in vulnerable situations. Situations. Sufficient high-quality educational resources, physical devices, and infrastructures should be available to benefit children's operation in the digital environment and support their formal, non-formal, and informal education. Internet service providers can actually be approached for support in that regard. And lastly, I would say governments should develop and strengthen education and public awareness raising initiatives and programs and user tools for children, parents or guardians, educators and other individuals working with children. Such programs should include knowledge on preventive measures, on the rights and responsibilities in the digital environment, identification and reporting of violations, as well as remedies and available retreats. So how important is children's access to technology and interactions with the internet critical to the fulfillment of other children's rights protected in the African Children's Charter? 
Um, the internet presents a lot of opportunities for children. Hence, I can say the digital environment has considerable potential to support the realization of children's rights, such as the right to freedom of expression and information, participation, the right to engage in play, and the right to assembly and association, as well as the right to education. So considering the increased shift to the digital space nowadays, where children do not have access to the digital environment or where this access is limited as a result of poor connectivity, their ability to fully exercise their human rights may be affected. For instance, um, I highlighted that the COVID-19 pandemic actually worsened the, the digital divide. So in this case, we also see that um, when a lot of schools were shifting to online learning, unfortunately for those without access to the internet, could not continue learning thus having impacts on their rights to education amongst other rights. So when you're looking at access to technology and interactions with the internet, it does not only provide an opportunity for the fulfillment of children's rights, but also the fulfillment of those rights, even in times of emergencies, such as the COVID-19 pandemic. So as a result, I would say access to technology and interactions with the internet um, is critical to the fulfillment of children's rights protected in the African Children's Charter. Yes, as we come towards the end of our conversation, I'd like to hear from you, Opal, what impact does technology have on the well-being of children? I know in your earlier responses, you talked about cyberbullying. Just to mention a few. So could you just, um, in a way, um, just you know, bring together what impact technology has on the well-being of children? Okay, so I would say the increase, um, you, the increase in the usage or in the use of technology and the time spent on digitally mediated activities might affect children in negative and positive ways. So to begin with, uh, the negative impacts or the negative effects, as I had highlighted, um, there are various dangers posed by technologies such as exploitation and abuse, that is expo exposure to child pornography and adult pornography, as well as other age-inappropriate content. There is online grooming, cyberbullying, as well as other threats relating to privacy. And these actually have implications on children's reputation and may lead to the violation of their rights, thereby impacting on their well-being. Further technology results, or let me say further studies have revealed that technology results in lower attention span in children. Teachers, parents, and learners find that technology can have a direct impact on attention spans. The immediacy of technological interactions make waiting difficult for children. Technology moves fast and the instant responses and instant gratification are impacting attention spans for younger children and young people. Um, furthermore, reports also indicate that children and teenagers who spend more time on the internet are more likely to report mental health issues, particularly issues to deal with depression. And this has increased suicide rates and has led to more youth or more children needing mental health interventions like medicine and counseling. Further, it has been found that spending more time on the internet 
may increase obesity rates in children as they establish habits of technology use that does not involve exercising. Spending more time with technology can also make children lose focus on their studies and assignments and make their grades drop at school. Um, the kind of developmental changes technology can bring can make learners struggle with um, school assignments. And lastly, technology might result in social interaction issues amongst children. And in that regard, we can say that spending more time on technology might result in children having challenges with face-to-face -face social interactions, thereby in impacting their well-being. So noting these negative impacts of technology on children's well-being, it is important for children to be educated on these impacts and be encouraged be encouraged to use the internet wisely and to manage their screen time. So even if I'm talking about the negative um, impacts, I think I highlighted before that the internet also provides positive impacts. Um, I will not go much into that. I'll just summarize and say um, children can actually enjoy their rights um, through the use of technology and further it also prepares them for future tech careers considering that technological advancements are actually increasing the demand for professionals to take on technology careers hence technology actually prepares children for the future and also it leads to improved multitasking improved visual spatial development as well as improved problem solving which can help them succeed in the future thank you Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Upal, for this wonderful conversation. I have learned so much and I hope our listeners as well have learned a thing or two about um, children's rights in relation to technology. I'd just like you to just give your concluding remarks, if any. Okay, thank you very much. So in um, conclusion, I would rather like to make some recommendations at regional level and um, at national level to ensure that children have access, children have equal access to technology and children's rights are actually protected as they interact with the digital environment. So I did not mention this point um, during the conversation, but from my reading, I note that there is scant literature when it comes to specific issues to do with children's interactions with the technology in Africa and the existing literature has a strong Western bias. So I would say it is important, or rather let me say, customized research and evidence is required to inform policymakers and legal professionals who are active in the area of digital um, rights relating to children. And this can be done by either the African Committee of Experts on the Rights and Welfare of the Child or the African Union member states. Um, further, I would um, recommend the African Committee of Experts to draft a general comment on children's rights in the digital age in the African context. AU member states should adopt a national coordinating framework with a clear mandate and sufficient authority to coordinate all activities related to children's rights and digital media and ICT at cross-sectorial, national, regional, and local levels and facilitate international cooperation. Um, noting that we have uh, the Malabo Convention that was adopted in 2014 but is not yet in force, member states should, um, or rather member states are encouraged to ratify the convention and harmonize national legislation in line with the provisions of this convention. 
further noting that many African countries are lagging behind in terms of um, updating its legislations to apply in the digital context. They are actually encouraged to amend legislation and ensure the inclusion of comprehensive human rights-centered and explicit provisions regulating children's access to the internet and interactions with technology. And it is important that children be involved in the law reform processes. Further, member states should invest in capacity strengthening of professionals to tackle violation of children's rights online. And this includes police officers, magistrates, judges, prosecutors, social workers, and teachers. Police officers particularly should be supported with necessary infrastructure to identify and trace cases of online abuse of children. Further, member states should um, invest in programs that will bridge the digital gap or the digital divide to ensure that children have equal access to opportunities provided by technologies. And when we're talking about the protection of children's rights online, businesses are very important. They have an important role to play in that regard. And therefore, businesses and internet service providers should have transparent data collection methods and clear explanations on the purpose of collecting data, privacy policies, should be in clear and understandable language. Further, clear reporting mechanisms should be established by websites and internet service providers to ensure that children and parents report cases of online abuse or any potential threats online. And these mechanisms should be accompanied by adequate um, redress. Um, there is also a need for public awareness on the importance of children's rights, children's digital rights, and online safety in collaboration with businesses and civil society organizations. And this includes providing parents, guardians, and children with appropriate information on child online safety. And this information should be presented in such a way that reaches all children and speak to their different ages and evolving capacities. Um, last but not least, parents and guardians have a far greater responsibility to play in mediating and supporting their children's online practices. And this includes reasonably monitoring children's online practices, educating them about online risks and how to stay safe online and encouraging them to report and, um, and encouraging them to report any abuse they experience online. And finally, when you look at the African children's right, um, the African children Charter, it talks about children's rights as well as children's responsibilities. So let me conclude by saying children also have a responsibility to ensure that they are safe online. They also have a responsibility to ensure that they respect the other rights and the safety of other children. And this also includes managing their time online so that they can reduce their vulnerability in the digital year. Thank you very much, Opal. And ooh, for the benefit of our listeners, perhaps there could be stakeholders, different organizations and academics who would like to collaborate with you further regarding the issue of children and um, technology or children's rights and technology. How can they um, reach out to you? Okay, so my email address is sibandaopal at gmail.com and on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at opalsivanda. This has been Africa Rights Talk with me, Tatenda Musina Hamai. 
join us in our other episodes as we continue to explore other human rights issues.